Good evening and welcome, my dear friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, now in its eighth year, whether you are across town or across the globe. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Karen Tate, uh, and that opening tonight feels like, you know, I think it might ought to be my theme song that was awakened by Alea Deo. You know, it is time to awaken, and I feel like a broken record sometimes, I say it so often, but I know it's necessary. You know, they say it takes someone seeing a commercial uh, as many as nine times before they decide to make a purchase. It really makes me wonder how many times it takes someone hearing a new idea, whatever it is, before they consider it, or even, you know, probably longer before they might resonate with it. But I'm hopeful. You know, just yesterday, um, I got a lovely review for my new book, Goddess Calling, and uh, shameless plug here. Um, Part of what the reviewer said uh, was how relevant Goddess Calling made ideals of the sacred feminine, how it was just common sense, all these ideals we label those belonging to the sacred feminine. Imagine, um, you know, it's not outrageous to want equality, justice, caring, sharing, uh, environmentalism, uh, resisting exploitation and oppression, expecting equal pay for equal work, resisting the devaluation of women. No, we aren't victims complaining, as right-wingers like to say. Uh, we're women and men trying to make the world a better place for the most of us. And you know what? We won't rest until we have a new normal in society, a normal that does not teach greed is good, or corporations or people, or employers should be able to squeeze the life out of workers with barely any benefits, sometimes making so little money they have to be on food stamps after working a 38- or 40-hour week. No, we will not rest until true partnership, balance, and equality, and fairness is the new normal. Resistance is not futile, as I say in Goddess Calling. It's imperative. And I thank you for listening here on my show and uh, for those folks reading my book. Linda Brunner, um, here's what, uh, what just a, a tiny couple sentences uh, of her review she said about Goddess Calling. Uh, she said, uh, it was like a dose of empowerment, one that the past few decades has taken from women anew and replaced with the same old shackles of powerlessness and endless work. Uh, she said, if you're looking for your own history as a woman separate from the bill of goods that women have been sold by religion and politics, take heart. It is there. And Karen Tate has pulled off the dusty covering and is inspiring, uh, inspiring us during these dark hours to forget who we are told we are not and instead remember who we are. Thank you, Linda. And uh, Nimue Brown from Across the Pond, I want to thank her as well uh, for saying this about uh, Goddess Calling, and she was kind enough to put a review up on Amazon and Goodreads. She said, uh, one of the things I especially liked is that the author does not talk about how patriarchy versus feminism uh, as a gender war issue. She's very clear that patriarchy is frequently supported and enabled by women, and that feminism is frequently supported by men. 
I'm starting to feel like we need a new language to emerge from this, to identify these systems in ways that do not divide genders, but allows us to find allies and recognize that old-style patriarchal, patriarchy is harmful to most of the men caught in it as well as being hugely damaging to women. It takes away from the majority of us for the benefit of a few power-hungry people with sexually oppressive attitudes. So thank you, um, Nimu Brown. I really appreciate that. And we'll be talking more about these ideas, uh, especially with my first guest tonight, Peter Wilkins. He is the author of A Woman Named God, and what a great little book. You must, must know about it. And you'll probably want to go out and buy it and, and give it away as gifts to all your friends, um, seriously. Uh, Peter is the son of an Episcopal, Episcopal minister, who was out there helping us turn the, turn the tide, uh, helping us educate women and men. Then as I cross the threshold into the second half of the show, Ed Malkowski is with us, another fella out there who knows about this stuff. And in his books, he reaches perhaps a different audience with the information that we all know. He explains history in the light of today's economic reality in his book, Return of the Golden Age, Ancient History and the Key to Our Collective Future. He tells his audiences about the fall of the great mother culture. And, you know, he appeals to these guys and gals who go to those ancient alien conventions and things, you know, the UFO people. Um, so they're hearing this there, too. Um, so I'm glad to have him with me tonight, um, another ally in the evolution. You know, I wonder every day as I speak to more and more women and men uh, who get this, uh, who will be the hundredth monkey? When will we reach that tipping point? Because you know what? Surely we will. But first, just a couple few announcements, and then we're going to chat uh, with Peter. Um, you know, the summer isn't over yet, um, and if you uh, haven't made plans for a vacation, well, what about doing your own self-driven goddess tour in the United States? You can hit the road um, and drive to goddess sites around the U.S., or even abroad if you're not afraid of driving on the other side of the road. Uh, but, you know, um, you, maybe you don't know how to get there or where to go. Well, check out Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 destinations. Not only can you travel with sacred sites of the Divine Feminine up and down the West Coast, uh, but you can find other U.S. destinations and lots and lots of international destinations as well. Uh, honestly, there is still nothing like it between two covers out there. Uh, prestigious endorsements sold in all the usual places. Amazon, museum bookstores uh, can be ordered from local booksellers. And you know what? Hey, I'm the author. If you want a signed copy, come to me at KarenTate.com. Uh, you can also see some of the wonderful endorsements that are there. I'm very proud of some folks on the Joseph Campbell um, of, of the Joseph Campbell Society actually uh, endorse the book. And uh, coming up in May, uh, we have our sacred tour to Turkey coming along. Uh, we actually have the pricing in uh, for about two weeks there. Uh, it runs about uh, $3,200, I believe. I'll be giving more information about uh, the itinerary, and I hope before too long, to have a link to actually send you to. 
And uh, finally, um, I want to make sure you know about the big, free, fun book launch party, uh, Birthing, my fourth book, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World. It's an anthology of the guests from this very show. Uh, And that big party is September 27th uh, from 7 to 10 at the Goddess Temple in Irvine. That's in Southern California. Uh, We'll have special guests. Uh, contributors to the anthology will be there sharing their wisdom. The incredibly talented Miranda Rondeau will be performing a piece in tribute to Lane Redman. Singer-songwriter Jackie Clark will lift us up with her beautiful voice. Rowan Storm, internationally known drum circle facilitator, will engage the audience. And two sacred dancers, Maria Kelly Lavetti and Brenda McCoy, uh, they will perform the Dance of the Three Veils. Books will be available at a deep discount, and you can have contributors sign copies, truly, truly taking home a real collector's item. Um, we're also going to have wonderful raffle items, and uh, if you were at the book launch party for Goddess Calling in April, whew, can you imagine two books in one year? I'm exhausted. Um, folks were gaga over the raffle items and free book table, um, you know, and I'm sure they will be again. I get so many wonderful free books um, from folks who want to be on the radio show, and uh, I share them with you, uh, the community. So uh, please come. Don't miss it. Uh, If you're within driving distance, uh, uh, come and be with us and launch this new book um, to our evening theme, which is Celebrating Partnership. And speaking of our beloved Lane Redman, yesterday was her birthday, and many gathered across the globe to remember her and her incredible body of work. You can hear our interviews here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I spoke to Lane several times over the years, uh, and just a few months before she passed away, her voice lives on even though she left the earthly plane last October. We will never forget you, Lane, or your book, When the Drummers Were Women. Thank you, thank you for all you've done and the legacy you left us. So without further delay, because um, I want to introduce you to Peter Wilkes by way of his bio, Um, I was so glad he reached out to me uh, to tell me about his work. Um, He, as as I said earlier, he's the son of an Episcopal minister, um, and Peter had firsthand look at the inner workings of organized religion throughout his upbringing. Now 70 years young, he has come to the conclusion that organized religion has continually done more harm than good. Won't get any argument from me there. Um, In his book, A Woman Called God, the first in his series of little books for big people, he goes back to the source and examines how it's possible to leave religion, with a capital R, behind, and reclaim your soul. His website is the name of the book, a woman called God.com. He's also on Facebook, uh, a woman called God. So, Peter, thank you so much for being with me tonight. Well, thank you, Karen. It's a it's a pleasure and a joy. Well, you know, um, it was interesting to me. Uh, I, I was connecting the dots in my head when that reviewer of my book said we need a new language. Um, and, you know, you had just sent me an article you had written um, saying the very same thing, that somehow uh, maybe we could um, embrace more people, uh, you know, more people would jump on the bandwagon with us if we could just figure out a better way to language all of this. 
Well, yeah, I, I think that is is kind of a fundamental problem. It's nobody's fault. It just is out there. Um, I, you know, and I, I speak from a guy's perspective, if you will, and, and I'm not a, an academic, and I'm not certainly not a theologian, but I just the, the words that we have in our world uh, can be combative words. They they shouldn't be, but they can be. And you know, I, I know, for example, that feminism. Um, means equality, and that's virtually, to me anyway, all it means, that we have an equal, uh, peaceful partnership uh, between men and women. But I think there are a lot of guys that don't get that, and feminine is the, the opposite of masculine, and they're masculine, and they got to stand up for that. And uh, I, I think that you, you get into matriarchy and patriarchy. I mean, you get the same issues. It's God and goddess. You get the same issues there. All our, our language around this whole issue fundamentally comes down to a, a, a guy versus woman sort of sort of atmosphere. Right. And I think you know. I think when we when we without even thinking about it. Um, I think that that some red flags go up. I mean, anybody that is not familiar with um, uh, the early days of our world, you know, when when the feminist societies were prevalent, when they they were when they were really running the earth, um, anybody that's not familiar with that, and that was part of history that I never learned in school. So I, I and I'm not unique there. Um, you know, just doesn't understand that that um, that this is not a, it should not be an adversarial relationship. There's no reason right. for it to be an adversarial relationship. Right. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And and you know, and I don't know whether I mentioned this to you or not in the course of our conversations back and forth. But you know, I grew up in the Bible Belt of New Orleans. So, okay. and I know you did learn about this in Catholic school. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And uh, you know, it took me moving to California when I was thirty years old to actually find out about this. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I, I, I'm ashamed to let the words leave my mouth. But you know, I lived there in the South. I was a product of that bubble. Um, I, I thought people like Rush Limbaugh and Bill O'Reilly actually, you know, had something of value to say. You right. Know, it, the, thought, it, it, the thought kills me now, you know, but, but it gives me hope because I figure, you know what, if I can change, other people can change too, you know. Well, I, I think that's right. And, of course, growing up in, in, in the church, uh, as I did, and as the minister's son, I, I had no choice but to drink the Kool-Aid and drink mm-hmm. as much of it as I possibly could because that was what it was was expected. I I had to be the smartest one in Sunday school, you know, I had to that's that was what it was expected in 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 the family. Um and I you never I never got to question it uh at any time. Um as, as certainly not as a child. I I wouldn't it wouldn't have been, you know, back then it certainly wouldn't have been my place and so the end result was that uh, when I got confirmed um, at the age of 12, I, I turned my back on the whole church and religion and, and, and anything to do with, with, with God, if you will. 
Wow, um, you were young. What what was the trigger? Well, the trigger was that confirmation, at least in the Episcopal Church for me and for, I think, a whole lot of people, um, it, it may be a little different than in the Catholic Church. The confirmation in the Episcopal Church is almost like graduation. You know, you, they've, they've taught you, in theory, everything you're going to learn. And, and so um, at that point, I started easing out uh, of going to church three times on Sunday and all that other kind of stuff. I, well, it wasn't a complete easy now. I, I managed to only have to go on once, once on Sunday. But, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a crazy life. But, but in fact, um, you know, from that point on, there was no son- more Sunday school. There mo- was no more confirmation class. The, the uh, services, of course, are are rote. They say the same things every week. The sermons might be a little different. Unfortunately, my dad was a good preacher, and and so he did have some things to say that I think were kind of relevant to the world. But, um, but in fact, uh, you know, at that point, uh, I I just started pulling away, and then as I got older and older, I just it it just, you know, there was no no church uh, in in my life at all. Never no. But, but I still had this hangover, you know, from drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, that still mm-hmm. there was so much that 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 never made any sense to me. Um, and um, so uh, I spent many, many. Actually, I drank, started drinking Kool-Aid of another kind, which was to buy into the whole corporate world. Which was, I became a stockbroker and a banker and all that other good stuff. Which, boy, was I in the wrong profession. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I, I guess the only only thing uh, I guess the proof of the pudding in in, in in that is that I may be the only stockbroker in the history of the world that never made any money. Uh, <laughs> what is because you you refuse to be dishonest and deceive people, or you just yeah don't... yeah I think you know and and don't get me wrong, not all stockbrokers or financial planners are are, are dishonest, but there's a quality. Uh, uh, in the business itself, there's an ethic or lack of ethic in the business itself that is it's just there. Yeah, um, it's kind of like the used car salesman. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's right. And um, there, there. I think you know. I have. We, we we haven't talked about this, but I have this whole uh, theory about sociopathic behavior that that enters into all of this discussion. Uh, why evil is here on earth and. Um, I, the sociopaths, the people that don't care whether you live or die and are only in it for themselves, those people... Sounds like Republicans the, to me, but yeah, well, <laughs> we, we, No, no. There's a lot of that. I mean, they, they go, they, they put themselves in positions of power um, in, in places where they can influence people, which includes politics, which includes financial services, and it also includes religion, in my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. Well, so um, so you took a, a circuitous route, uh, and then you finally found Goddess. How did how did you discover the sacred feminine? Well, I, I you know I was going down all the wrong paths <laughs> uh, on my lonely way back home, as as a singer once said. And um, when I was going down for about the third time and grasping for anything, I happened to reach out and grab Merlin Stone's book, When God Was a Woman. And I started reading that, and I don't ask me why, but I was in my probably in my fifties at that point. Um, and 
uh, you know, I just started reading it, and it made so much sense. Mm-hmm. You you were talking earlier I, uh, in the introduction about the logic of this whole um, uh, feminist society and, and how it evolved out, and, and I can see that. I mean, you know, to me, if I'm the first guy in the world, and I'm with the first woman in the world, and this woman all of a sudden starts growing a child inside her body and then gives birth to that child several months later, I'm not going to put two and two together. I'm too busy out there fighting saber-toothed tigers or whatever I'm doing. And I, I'm good. this is going to be an amazing, magnificent, awesome, um, and very worshipful, worshipful um, event. I mean, to be able to create, and it goes back to this whole term, the creator and all that other kind of stuff, but to be able to create uh, another another individual is is truly amazing. And, yeah, and I on said, top of that, you know, on top of, on top of that, being able to you know create a new life from, and of course, men didn't understand the role males played in procreation. You also have the whole they can the whole thing where they can bleed without dying, and that must have been yes. pretty scary too. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, really, uh, it it truly it truly must have been. So it's not a big leap for anybody. Yeah. Uh, for, to me, to say, okay, well, of course, these these women were put in in positions of prominence in the in 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 the society, um, and they were the leaders. Um, but they, it, it, and it's also not a leap for, for me to make to say, okay, sure, and and they also um, led with with the typical feminine. What I say, typical feminine characteristics. I mean that in in the most. Uh, in, in the best manner of of understanding of of, of um, you know partnership of peacefulness of empathy um, but also with force and, and and with with courage and with strength mm-hmm. I mean and mm-hmm. that, that's that's what a leader does I mean right. the right leader <laughs> right, uh, right unfortunately we've been faced with some leaders that aren't so great in that regard, but that's another story. That goes back yeah, to the so, sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, and that's a whole other issue. The the um, so it wasn't you know once I read that book, um, it was it was pretty clear to me that 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 it, it actually existed to begin with. Yeah, and then I started was, thinking you know what happened, and and then I started reading some more, and we went on from there. Well, that was actually one of the books that turned me to. It was that mm. and Rianne Eisler's Chalice and the Blade. Mm. Uh, those those were the two. You know, I realized it was not a feminist fantasy, and it all made sense. And um, but you know, I'm curious. Forgive me for asking. You found this when you were 50. Was your dad still alive? And did you tell him about this? Um, he wasn't actually. This is later. He he had he had passed on. Um, and uh actually my mom died before he did uh and and uh then he passed on and and um so I, it doesn't really matter what age you are when uh your parents both die you you feel like an orphan mm-hmm. um and so i i think it was in that kind of orphanhood if you will then i i started looking around for for things that that made sense 
and something to nurture you, you know. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a theory that a lot of people are drawn to goddess spirituality who don't have good relationships with their mothers, you know, um, mm-hmm. or, have, or have never felt loved and nurtured, you know. Um, I, I think we all need that. We all need that mothering. And if we don't get it from a, you know, from a flesh and blood mother, sometimes, you know, we can turn to um, her as a deity or an archetype, you know, mm-hmm. it sort of fills the void you know, so to speak. Um, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that does make some sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because, I, I mean, I'll admit, you know, that was me. I, 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 My mother was not a warm creature, and um, we didn't have a close relationship. In fact, I don't think she ever even read any of my books when she was alive. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, you know it's a little hard to swallow, um, but but I you know I found that uh, you know I got the nurturing from from goddess that I didn't get from you know my mother who who just you know didn't know how to give it you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so was there anything in particular though that made you um, write this wonderful little book, uh, A Woman Called God? Well. Um... There a couple of things actually. Um, as I started to think about this whole situation and and why guys like myself didn't get it, didn't understand this, it, and it wasn't it wasn't like there hadn't been a whole lot of research done on on this um, on this goddess society, this feminist society. Um, I mean, it was out there, but people just weren't learning about it they didn't understand it um they didn't want to understand it uh, i think that's so I key said, a lot of them didn't want to understand it right you know exactly. they wanted to ridicule it and i and i have my theories why but you you go ahead and finish and we'll flush it out right um i the, and, and so they're the, the, just turning their back on something that i thought was incredibly logical um and so i tried to dig in a little deeper and find out what happened and why the this particular society went you know went the way it went um which took me back to my sociopathic theory but um <laughs> the uh but I said maybe I can do something you know just as a guy uh, maybe I can do something that will get people thinking that that God is not necessarily a man, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's step one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been so indoctrinated with with the idea that, uh, with this image, if you will, of God as an old white guy, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, that you know we don't even think if 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 there's a possibility that it could be something else. Right. And in fact, there was a time in our civilization where it was something else, where God was a woman, or at least the image of God was a woman. Now, to be honest, um, I I don't think it behooves any one of us to demand that God is a, a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. And I agree. In, in, in spite of uh, the title of my book, A Woman Called God, um, the emphasis is on called. I, I, what I wanted to do in my book was to point out that it is just as logical for God to be a woman as it is for it to be a man. And mm-hmm. that, that's that's the key thing to my book. 
uh, and, and, and really what I was trying to say, because if you can, if you can take my book to a guy, for example, and say, you know, read, read this book, and it's, it can be read in five minutes. I, I guarantee you I've timed it. Um, <laughs> it. It is very short, and it's designed purposely for that way because it's designed for the reluctant, reluctant reader. Right. It's designed for the guy that says, okay, I'll read that just because you wanted me to, and it's written by a guy, so maybe it won't be all that bad, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. There's probably jokes um, in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are probably jokes in it or something, exactly. Um, and by the time, uh, by the, time the guy finished, I'm, I'm saying guys, there are probably women who could benefit just as much from the book, but... Um, by the time the guy finishes, then, then I would like you to ask, ask him one question. And that says, and that is, isn't it just as much of a possibility that God is a woman as it is that God is a man? And if he says yes, then all of a sudden, now you're on equal terms. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, that's the point that the world can begin to change. Yeah. And if, if he says no then that's a whole other th- deal. There's some work to be done, clearly, or maybe some tough choices to be made. Do you want to be with yeah. that guy? You know, yeah, you know. well, it, and I mean, you know, I honestly, you know, I, I guess, you know, when it comes right down to it, you know, I, I push the goddess idea because I feel like, you know, the pendulum has to swing in that direction until people get it. Uh, and, and then after people you know, wake up to that, then maybe the pendulum can swing back to the middle. But, you know, probably the smartest thing is to totally take gender out of it. Um, and, and I think it's just our own limitations, our own monkey brains that have forced us to personify deity um, as either masculine or feminine because, you know, uh, we just can't wrap our mind around anything else. Um, I, I think that the Hindus call, um, you know, call the sacred feminine the sea of being. Well, you know, that's probably a little bit too vague for most people. Um, right. You know, I, I, I was talking to Anne Baring, and I really liked the way she described the difference between the masculine and feminine deity. You know, she says the divine masculine is our cognitive mind. It's everything we know up until this point. And that becomes stagnant without the incorporation of intuition and inspiration, which is the feminine. You know, mm-hmm. that allows the cognitive mind to, you know, get some juice to grow, you know. And right, it, and exactly. it, it makes such sense that one needs the other. <laughs> right. No, it does. And, in fact, that gets you to that level of spirit where, where this entity that we call God is, is probably both. You yeah. know, it's probably ma- masculine and feminine, if you and, will. And you know almost... what? Maybe, maybe even more than that. You know, it, it, bigger, bigger even than that. You know, it, but it's just so incomprehensible yes. that you know we we got to reduce it down to something that people who don't like to think very much can wrap their brain around. Right. You know? Right. Exactly. And hopefully my book is that. Because <laughs> you don't have to think very much to read my book, for sure. But, but you know what, Peter? The book is brilliant. It's brilliant in its simplicity. You know, it, Thank it really you. Yeah. is. Because I think it can it can be like a little thorn that sort of gets under your skin and just keeps you know pricking at you until you you know you you. 
you give it some thought. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's supposed to do that. And thank you right. for saying that. Um, it, you know, Jean uh, Shinoda Bolin, mm-hmm. you, you know her, don't you? She, yeah, she yeah, I've a, interviewed her. Yeah, she's been oh, yeah, right. She had a comment on my book. I sent it to her, and she was nice enough to make a comment. I'll just read it to you because I think it encapsulates exactly what you were saying. It says, uh, your little book, A Woman Called God, is charming, unthreatening, and delivers a whammo message. Subversive mm-hmm. to the status quo, the big R, religion, and the big P, patriarchy, with its simple, easy-to-grasp premise. And, you know, that's that's what it was designed to do, and, and I, I'm glad people are seeing that. I'm very gratified. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it's a great book for your, you know, your relatives who... Um, might have a smidgen of an open mind. You know, you really might be able to crack that door wide if mm-hmm. you give them something like this for Christmas. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. And I, I would like, you know, I hope people will do that. Um, I, I've had some people say that that's exactly what they're going to do um, because that's what we need. We're, 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 I, I think the world really is at a spiritual tipping point. I, I honestly believe that. I think People are leaving the churches in droves, and they have to believe in something. They mm-hmm. honestly have to believe in something. If you if you don't believe in something, you don't have hope. Right. And without hope, then then we're all doomed. Um, yeah, you know, because it's hard. You know, for for me, I, I mean, look, you know, I I'm not a huge brain scholar. You know, like some scientists mm-hmm. and things. Um, but right. you know, I, I consider myself a scholar in some right. But you know, I I feel sorry for the people who have no religion, who have no spirituality, and I mean little mm-hmm. or religion, because like you said, you know, it it must be hard to just think when you close your eyes, everything goes black and you know, yeah. uh, or, you know, there's nothing out there. Because, I don't know, I, I I think there are even studies that say that people who do have religion or spirituality in their life, they're happier, they have better health. Um, we know if people pray, you know, they can affect change. Um, there's something going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but you know, sometimes I think we, you know, uh, I, I wonder if we would almost be better off in society if people took God out of the equation, you know? I wonder what it would be like to live in a world that was that was secular or, you know, religion didn't enter the equation. You know, that that would that would be really interesting. Or would science be the religion? Well, I mean, I, I, science, even, even even the great scientists admit they don't know it all and will never get to know it all. So there, there, there's still, I think there's still a spiritual basis. I think what's interesting in, in what you just said, though, is that I think you could probably live very well without religion. Uh, and I, that's with a capital R. Um, and you might even live better without religion. But I think the, the the spirituality is something that is very personal and very individual. Um, and quite frankly, people who are big in religion do not like people who are into spirituality because spiritual, spiritual people think for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the last thing that organized religion wants you to do. Oh, they do not okay. want you to think for yourself. I can... Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many, um, you know, conundrums and, you know, uh, disconnects and, oh. you know, and, and, and I guess they answer those by saying, well, you just have to have faith. You know, I remember yeah. those things, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
uh, my mother's famous saying was, um, uh, you know, oh, it it just slipped right out of my head. But it's kind of like, you know, uh, one of these vague things like, well, you know, only God knows why bad things happen. Or I I, I don't know, something like that, you know. Right, right, exactly. You have to just surrender everything, you know, including your brain. And 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 your uh and and you know your ability to think to belong, you know. Right, right, exactly. I I just think you know there's, um I I think in one of your interviews that I listened to before this you were talking about your interest in conspiracy theories and and <laughs> uh, I I think that I don't think it's far fetched to say that there is a a general conspiracy, and I don't want to go off half-cocked here, but there is a general conspiracy on the part of what I call the great marketers of the world, people who mm-hmm. are, and I, I include in the marketing piece uh, the, the organized religions, and um, I think their design is to keep us apart. Their design mm-hmm. is to make sure that we don't get together and think collectively. Be- because well, yeah, because just imagine how everything would change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so not only are we fighting something that's been entrenched in us since you know the, the, the first sociopath wrote the Old Testament and the story of Adam and Eve, so that's been you know, that's been you know pounded into our brains. But then we have this group of marketers who have perpetuated all this kind of thing for for eons. And, you know, yeah, like you say, you know, um, all of a sudden we may find out that those marketers aren't needed, and then all of a sudden they're out of a job. And, well, like and you know, the same thing with priests, you know, because yes. with God of spirituality, you know, you really don't need priests. Um, no, so they all become irrelevant. And, and you know, the other thing, too, is um, one of the reasons, you know, I, I lament with some of my priestess friends when it's hard to, we call it, herd the cats, you know, because goddess people and, you know, they tend to, I think, be a little bit more independent. They're less of joiners, you know, and mm-hmm. so it, it, it's hard to create community is kind of the point. And so yeah. we were examining that and we were saying, okay, so... Um, why is it hard for us to create community? And one of the things we came up with was, well, you know, there's no cost for not getting, you know, jumping on our bandwagon. But yet if you're a Christian or you're a Muslim, well, you know, you have these, you know, edicts or whatever you call them, you know, you have these uh, commandments that tell you, well, you're going to burn in hell or something bad's going to happen to you if you don't uh, adhere to this religion and this god and this uh this this you know the, this these little boxes that they want to put you in yeah. but you you don't have that you know you don't the, the sheeple <laughs> you know it's almost as if it's harder to lead the sheeple to goddess because they're not afraid to not go there if that makes any sense right right and it gets back to something i was saying a little earlier the only way you're going to get people uh, to change, and I think this is at this point mostly men, is they have this picture of the person who's number one. This picture of God is number one, and this God is male. So therefore, God is 
male males are number one. Okay, that's that's the, the logic or illogic that goes on. The only way you're going to get around that is if you call into question this this entity that they identify with. And so if you can if you can do that, and then again, this is what I'm hoping my little book does, is you could if you can call into question in their own mind, in a non-threatening manner, in their own mind, that well, you know, maybe this guy isn't God. You know, maybe God isn't a guy. You mm-hmm. know, then then you can start to say, well, if he's not a guy, then what is he or she mm-hmm. or whatever, and and you can just kind of kind of start from there. But yeah, I mean, these marketers yeah, have, have been be... at this for a long time. So yeah, yeah, I mean, master propagandists. Uh, you know, for sure. And and mm-hmm. don't you wonder, I, I mean, you know, and maybe you can even speak to this from a personal perspective, Peter. I mean, coming from, you know, an, an Episcopal household, um, I mean, look, it seems like to me all of these ministers, whether they be male or female, who, who you know, preach this stuff, I mean, do you think they really believe it? You know, or, or do you, I don't know. I guess I can't, Imagine that they're all that dumb and close-minded, but they're right. they're just going along with the status quo because it benefits them for some reason. Right. I think, um, and, and this is just sort of a spur of the moment uh, thought because I, I hadn't really thought it through. But I think that you know a lot of people go into the law thinking that they're going to, you know, help mankind. You know, I'm going to get into the law, I'm going to change the laws, I'm going to do all this kind of thing. They get into the law, they get wrapped up in law firms and the politics and everything else, and in fact, you know, they aren't, and they they get burned out and they leave or they just sit there and maintain the status quo. I think the same thing goes on uh, with the clergy. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think people get into the clergy or go into the clergy uh, because they have a very altruistic sense. They really want to do good. And I think a lot of them do in their own little way and in their own little community. And I think, I, I know my dad did. You know, he, 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 he did a lot of good for a lot of people. Um, but he did drink the Kool-Aid, and there were a lot of politics that went on. I mean, it wasn't any different than really any other organization. And so, you know, there were certain things that they had to stand for and stand by, and you know, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't vary from that. Right. It yeah, would, they had to just toe the party line. The party so, line. Um, sure. So, so Peter, um, what what do you say to men? How can men be advocates? For feminists, um, how how can men be feminists? Spoken from a man. Yeah, um, I I think uh, as I said, there there are two things that are going to take to get them there. We've touched on them both. So first is the language. We got to come up with a new language that's neutral. Uh, I mean, I really do because the minute you say to to the average guy on the street, the minute you say uh, feminists or female or whatever, you're, you're, it's going to raise a red flag because it's not male. Right. So. The language is one issue, and, and um, you know, we, we, we were talking a little bit about this last week when we were exchanging those emails, and, and I, you know, we, you said, well, what is the right word? And I, I just thought about it last night, and instead of feminists, 
I said, well, how about Fem and Us? Fem and Us. The U.S. is is a suffix that's masculine in Latin, and it's more inclusive. It feels more like, you know, us, two people. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. That's that's just a wild idea. Uh, but well, you know, there's a thought, it, you know, because it, we do. Thought. You know, so many of the words are loaded. You know, we talked about creator creatrix. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I know the the women who are part of woman priests. You probably know who they are. Who are out there you know, being ordained. I asked one on the show, why do you call yourself a priest and not a priestess? Mm -hmm. And she was flabbergasted by the question, you know. Um, And and I thought, well, if you're going this far, why give yourself a male name? (laughs) Right, right. Again, that's drinking the (laughs) Kool-Aid, you know, almost. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and her answer was, well, um, you know, we're already pushing the envelope so far. If we said we were a priestess and not a priest, people might not even know what we did or who we mm-hmm. were. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. Um, and, and, you know, you've got pagan, you have witch, you have, uh, you know, woman's liber, you, you know, I, I mean, all, you know, we're all these angry feminists. You know, yeah. or these angry lesbians who hate men. You know, right? I mean, right. What, what's the stuff that Rush Limbaugh says? I mean, oh God, you know, um, yeah. it, we're going to destroy or the guy from the Seven Hundred Club. You know, we're going to destroy society, and it's just—it's just crazy. <laughs> it's again, it's those marketers that I was talking about. That—that's what they do, and they tow the party line, and and. You know, so I think, yeah, a neutral language is, is and, and I think somebody should really start to think about that. I hate committees, but get some people together. Maybe so, and, yeah. I, I know, I, I, for, I forget who it was now. Um, somebody tried to push the word womanist instead of feminist, but that doesn't mm-hmm. really help for men. You know, that mm-hmm. didn't go over. Um, so, and, you know, when I came up with a very generic term when I wrote my first book, uh, Sacred Places of Goddess, called, and, and I called it, uh, because I knew people weren't going to call themselves pagans, but, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wasn't adverse to goddess. So it, I came up with this very, you know, clinical term of goddess advocate, but that's not great either. You know, mm. um, no. but I, but I felt like you know maybe progressive Christians wouldn't be so afraid of that. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all on the right track. I and and it, we'll know it when we see it. Right. <laughs> uh, we really will. But I think you know. Um, I think it has. All I think that needs to be done because there's a lot of smart people out there working with this issue and. I think all that needs to be done is to kind of raise the consciousness that the language isn't working. Um, yeah, we need our own Frank Luntz. Isn't that isn't that the right wing propagandist guy who always tells them what language to use to sell, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. sell horrible things to people? Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> something like that. And then, so, and then um, the other thing, and then the other thing that needs to be done is is that the the logic behind. Um, a, a a male god needs to be questioned. That's that's mm-hmm. the other thing. You, you have to say, hey, you know, come on. It's just well, as logical that it could be a woman, and or, it is. Or, or you're also turning what's natural on its head. You know, exactly. I mean, we can we can see in history when males started to co-op. Um, you know, uh, you know things that were inherently female, like you know, Zeus birthed. Athena from his head, 
you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and so they're co-opting the role of women. Um, you know, and and I mean, what could be crazier than that? You know, when did a man ever birth anything? You know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, it's just, I mean, if if you think now, and you know, guys have been accused of not thinking logically. We really try. I want I want you to know that we honestly <laughs> do try to live life logically. And if you throw some logic at us, you know, it is going to make some sense, especially when you got something else on the other side that is completely illogical. Right. We we just have to be careful not to be shrill when we say it or strident when we say it. You know, I, right. I can't wait until Hillary starts running for president because all the sexists are going to come out and they're all going to be saying, you know, what a nag she is. And uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's going to you be just have to. I guess what I'm saying is you have to be you know, you know, men are very emotional. You know, they yep. say we are, but they have their own hot button issues. You know, they they get worked up over things. I call my husband a drama queen sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no question about it. And and you know, we're hurting. I got to tell you, we are hurting because everything. I'm, I'm 70 now, and I got to say, you know, looking back over what basically my generation has done to this world is is not anything that I'm terribly proud of and yeah um and we all know it um and everything we've everything we've we've tried has really failed um yeah. you know i mean yeah there's some technological advances and all that other kind of things we have more things but mm-hmm. but from a spiritual standpoint we 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 really we really need we really need help and 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 if we can just if we can just bridge that gap, and it's only—it's not a big gap between what 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 we feminists are talking about and what the guys are talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's well, just, you know, I, we went to and saw the movie Lucy last night, and okay. um, I was I was really surprised. It, it wasn't exactly what I expected, but one of the takeaway thoughts from it was our purpose. You know, what is our purpose in life? I mean, that, you know, I think about that all the time. Am I fulfilling my purpose? And Morgan Freeman was, you know, talking from a scientific and sociological perspective. And and he, and one of the things they said in the movie was, our purpose is not to be consumers and, you know, do all of this greed stuff that so many are doing. Our purpose is really to pass on knowledge to the next generation. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, taking religion even out of the equation, what if, if we even believed that, that that's what we were here to do, to gain as much knowledge as possible and pass it on to the next generation? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would, um, it, 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 I guess it, that thrills me to death in a way, you know, because, here we would be valuing knowledge and critical thinking and ideas, you know, rather than um, dumbing down the world the way so many of the sociopaths want to do. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, if we could just do that, I I mean, if I could do that uh, just on on a personal level, I would be, I could go on to my next life uh, very, very happy. Um, well, I think you're doing that, Peter. And so, so now you have some future, uh, future. You call them little books for big people. You trademark yeah. that. That's really, really cool. Um, so, what are the future books besides um, a woman called God? Well, I, uh, the, the, there are two kind of in the works, and you know, in various stages. Uh, one, one is called Why Evil, and it, it gets back to what we were talking about as far as uh, the sociopaths. I mean, if you have one creator, 
um, the buck stops there, and so the creator had to create evil as well as good. And and um, historically, uh, if you go back scientifically, you can see that four percent of the population is, has been sociopathic. I mean, that's what any scientist will tell you that. I mean, it's just by definition, roughly between so, three. So and 5%. only four percent can screw up the entire world. Yeah, but here, guess what? <laughs> Now that we have a global population of 7 billion people, that's 280 million people on this earth that don't care whether you or I live or die. And so we have to kind of figure out why this one creator provided that uh, evil and why is it here, and essentially it's here to give us a choice. Um, And so I want to talk about that in my book on why evil. And then I, then I want to go back to, and this all ties in with religion too, uh, and, and then I have one that's called, and then there's sex, um, because I think sex is something that we've really screwed up. <laughs> um, you kidding? You know, just, yeah, just from the get-go, I mean, and, and uh, you know, the whole concept, again, going back to the goddess society, where sex was wonderful, and it was honored and worshipped, and... and it was the best thing that God could give uh, to individuals on this earth. And boy, have we got, gone way off base on that. Um, well, and I wonder if that's not part of the carrot for men, you know, that you oh, don't yeah. have to feel guilty about sex anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's right. I, I think there's something going on there, but I, 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 that needs to be thought through. And then lastly, I have a, a book. Uh, planned anyway called what happens after uh, that's after you leave this life um i may have to phone that one in when i get there but (laughs) 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 i uh i have some thoughts on that as well so what do you think uh or do you know already i mean what's the different takeaway um you know for different uh, groups or different types of people i mean what kind of feedback are you getting i guess i'm getting a lot of uh, really nice feedback um now, I, with you and your listeners and and uh, the others in, in in the feminist world, it's a, it's you know it's a little bit like uh, preaching to the choir, but but in fact they seem to be very uh, very interested. And in, in, in the fact that it's written by a guy, I, I, I think, does sort of help things. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found that it's very interesting to younger uh, younger people, younger girls especially. Um, I know that uh, Trista Hendren wrote *The Girl God*, and we and she and mm-hmm. I have been communicating back and forth a lot. And um, and that book's terrific too. That's just magnificent. And yeah, and um, yeah. but uh, I've had some people, women read my book, and then their daughters read it, and you know, then begins a discussion with their daughters, which you know, which is great. And then of course the the. Uh, then I'm, I'm hoping we can get it to the guys that, you know, as you said, are just on the verge of maybe, you know, rethinking this stuff. And there are a lot of them. No hate mail yet? No hate mail yet. <laughs> not yet. It'll come. <laughs> <laughs> well, or maybe not, you know. maybe. Well, I hope it does because that means I've hit a nerve. Uh, there you go. You know? There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Peter, um, you know it's it's uh, it's about time to wrap it up. Is there anything um, you maybe would want to leave listeners with that we haven't discussed already? Oh, there there is one thing, and it's just a little thing, but it's it's personal to me. Um, uh, the the proceeds, uh, at least the, the the bulk of the proceeds of this book, are going to go to to fight breast cancer. It, it's a 
a disease that um, took both my my mother and my first wife. And and um, so uh, know that if you do buy the book, that you know that's that's where the bulk of the money is going to go. And and so um, you can do a, a good thing even if the guy you give it to doesn't understand it. <laughs> well, you know that's really wonderful. Um, you know what a what a good thing to do. Um, you know, kudos to you all around, Peter. Well, thanks. Um, so, so listen, when the other books um, come out, um, will you stay in touch with me, and oh, I'll have sure, you back. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I can't wait to see the next ones and and help you spread the word about it. Okay. Well, great, Karen. Well, thanks so much, and for your interest and for your time. Well, you know, it's been fun, and uh, I really enjoyed the book. I will tell loads of people wonderful things about it uh, because you deserve it. And, um, you know, it, just have fun writing the next few, and, um, you know, uh, I, I, I can't wait to hear about them. Thank, thank <laughs> you so much, Peter. Have a wonderful night. Oh, you're night. quite welcome. Yeah, you too. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye. Well, I see my next guest um, is on the line there, and uh, I will be getting to him in just a moment. Uh, But I owe uh, Joe Carson a commercial here. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and divine were all connected. They were together that there wasn't a separation. That's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. That's the sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. Well, uh, you were just hearing uh, from uh, Ronnie Dougal, Serena Roney Dougal, uh, speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. And, you know, I, I, have to, I was laughing inside as I was listening to those words, um, you know, that you know that are part of the uh, the documentary they're dancing with Gaia it you know this is all just so normal to us and you know you listeners I'm sure it but it I, I, I had to chuckle inside because I thought oh everything she said is so blasphemous to some others but anyway you know we we, we keep on we're like water wearing away rock we will uh, we will elevate the consciousness and dancing with Gaia can help do that it explores the con- connections between earth energy sacred sexuality the goddesses God it features 15 visionaries like Serena Roney Dougal who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. And the DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book, and it only costs $20. You can get your own copy by going to dancingwithgaia.com. And as always, thanks to Joe Carson for running her commercials here on the show uh, to help me pay for airtime. And uh, last week I introduced you to Tabby Biddle um, briefly. Uh, she's the foundress of GoddessLeadership.com, and uh, uh, and I loved yet another quote of hers uh, that she posted on my Facebook wall uh, in the last couple of days, and it goes like this: 
There is an unexamined assumption that men have always held power in the world and that male dominance was always the norm. But this is simply not true. There is an untold story of female power in our human history. That's from Tabby Biddle at goddessleadership.com. And uh, here to talk about that uh, is uh, my second guest tonight, uh, Ed Melkowski. Uh, Let me introduce you uh, to Ed by way of his uh, bio. Uh, Ed um, uh, has a lifelong interest in ancient history with a special interest in the rise of civilization, philosophy, and the development of ancient religious beliefs. With the opinion that the ancient biblical stories in Genesis were based on historical events, during the late 90s he began investigating the possible archaeological and historical evidence that inspired the earliest mythologies found in the biblical Genesis. This led to his first book, Sons of God, Daughters of Men, Genesis, A Clash of Cultures, which inspired interest in the megalithic monuments of Egypt's Old Kingdom and the philosophical influence Egyptian culture exerted on the ancient world. Two more books were the result. Uh, The first was uh, Before the Pharaohs, Egypt's Mysterious Prehistory, and the other, The Spiritual Technology of Ancient Egypt, Sacred Science, and the Mystery of Consciousness. From his travels in Egypt, his fourth book, Ancient Egypt, 39,000 BCE, The History, Technology, and Philosophy of Civilization X, puts forth the evidence that ancient Egypt's magnificent pyramids, temples, and monuments are the remnants of a sophisticated civilization that was decimated by global catastrophe around 12,000 years ago at the end of the Ice Age. And now... Uh, He explains ancient history in the light of today's economic reality and return of the golden age, ancient history, and the key to our collective future. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me on. Well, you know, um, I'm so glad to know you are out there, um, you know, because I think when you are uh, probably giving these presentations, uh, and you talk about things like the fall of the great mother goddess culture. You know, I have a feeling that you are reaching audiences that people like me maybe haven't reached yet. So it feels like you're really kind of um, spreading the word out into, uh, you know, folks that might not ever hear about this kind of stuff. I certainly hope I am. That's that's the goal anyway. Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm curious. Um, what, you know, what kind of reception have you had, you know, from these types of audiences? You know, or do you find that people are open-minded, or you know, you know, they think this is, you know, crazy feminist fantasy, or anti-Christian, or I, I'm just curious what kind of feedback you've been getting when you talk about the Great Mother culture. Well, I don't get much uh, uh, feedback from from the Christians who are, who are are against it because those types of people really don't go to the conferences that I speak at or read the books that I write. Uh, but I have a lot of good feedback from the general population that that, that does attend the conferences and read the books. Uh, it's just something that's been going on for a long time, and in our own in our own modern time, it really began with uh, the peace movement of the 1960s. Uh, a lot of us tend to think history is like chopped up into different sections, and you know, there's you know, there's 
uh, before the Common Era, after the Common Era, there's uh, different ages, uh, the Roman Empire, and then you have uh, Catholicism and the Holy Roman Empire. Then you have the Age of uh, Enlightenment and the Renaissance, and, uh, and then you have the, the founding of the nations. And you know, history's all chopped up into into different segments, but. Uh, in the real world, it really doesn't work like that. One generation leads to the next generation, which leads to another generation, and so on and so forth. So civilization is really more concepts and ideas than anything else. We see the material end of that with, you know, with cars and boats and highways and planes and, and all that stuff. And then now we have the, the electronics. But what we don't see going on is the concepts and ideas being passed forward. And something very special happened in the 1960s. Uh, we, had, we had won the Second World War, and a whole new generation of, of, uh, of children were, were being raised in, in the post-war era. And uh, they were vehemently against Vietnam. Uh, they were the flower children, the hippies and the hippies. Uh, they wanted peace. Uh, you know, they wanted to love it. And uh, that was a great idea. Of course, you had Martin Luther King there too, who right. was was for 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 social justice. And, and Kennedy, Kennedy was around that time Kennedy, too. Absolutely, uh, uh, these ideas really didn't die away with the hippies. Uh, they have they have moved forward. And uh, just in my lifetime, uh, over the past fifty years, I've seen a great change. In, in television and in bookstores. Uh, just for example, uh, when I was a young boy in the 60s, Westerns dominated TV. Mm -hmm. uh, a science fiction show came out named Star Trek in 66, and uh, although it was highly successful much later, it didn't work all well in the 60s. It lasted about three seasons. And then in the 70s, uh, you see Gary Collins starring in a show called The Sixth Sense. Again, it only lasted a couple seasons and, and then went away. And in the 70s, you see a lot of police shows dominating. But starting in the 80s and moving into the 90s, uh, you see more and more paranormal, uh, mystical-type shows uh, coming on. And True. once you have once you have the Internet coming on in, in, in 93, you have an explosion of information where people can share, they can go to different websites, different chat rooms, and discuss opinions, discuss ideas, discuss religion, politics, and, and, and so on. So, so what we're seeing is the enlightenment of the general population over these past 20 years or so. And one of the most important things at the front of that enlightenment is that... Uh, the first most ancient cultures that we know of worshipped. Well, worship's the wrong word to use. I don't even like to use that word, worship, because it's, it's worship is a modern Western civilization context to talk about uh, the way we are now. And I don't think it's correct to, to place that idea on the past. But when you look at the ancient past, that idea coming through is that, is that people honored the feminine. And there's some very good, and there's some very good reasons why our, our ancient ancestors honored the feminine. So, um, so, so let me ask you, uh, Ed, because I'm think, you know, I, I'm feeling like maybe you're giving me a little bit of hope because, you know, sometimes I, 
I get down a bit because I feel like society is becoming so dumbed down, you know, uh, the sheeple, you know, there's no critical thinking. Um, but but I, it sounds like maybe you're telling me otherwise. You you think maybe there's there's more thought going out there, going on out there than um, maybe I give society credit for. Yes, I think that's the case. Uh, I hear a lot from people my age and people older that the kids are dumb, that all they want to do is play video games, that they're lazy, that they're these all kinds of things. And and they're not, really. Uh, they're not lazy. It's just the fact there's really no jobs to go to. Right. You know, unless you're an engineer, unless you're going to college to be an engineer or going to college to be in a medical field, there's not really a whole lot of jobs out there to be had. So, you know, so it's kind of a waste of time to go to college. Uh, the older people, uh, 50 and plus, and this, of course, is a generalization. I don't mean every single person my age and older, but the older people seem to be those that are more anti-this and anti-that. They, they mm-hmm. don't want more conservative, to change. Yeah. Right, right. They're... The, they're conservative. They grew up in a very patriarchal-based uh, society. That's how they think, and that's how they think uh, life should be. On the other hand, the, the younger people, and you know, I, I'm, I'm getting a lot of this from the internet, the activity of different people on Facebook, on, on different websites. The, the younger people, they want the change. You know, yeah. and there's even a phenomenon. There's even a phenomenon called uh, the Indigo Children. Uh, that P.M. Atwater has written about, and actually a whole bunch of other authors have, have written, written quite a bit about. Uh, me, personally, I don't necessarily believe that there's a, such a thing as indigo children, but I applaud uh, people like Atwater for bringing, bringing those ideas to our attention because what I think is really happening is that it's not necessarily the children that are waking up that are being born indigo children. It's just that this is how children are in general, and have always been. What's so different explain, is that explain the parents. The, well, explain what the indigo children are, in case my listeners haven't um, heard about that. The the indigo children are supposedly children born sometime after 1980 uh, that have been maturing in the late 90s and the 2000s and now, and these children are different. Because it is as it, it is as if they're born with great intuition about nature and life and the cosmos. Uh, okay. They have they have special abilities, whether it's whether it's painting or music or being able to intuit any certain situation, uh, being able to talk to angels or or or, or dream very vivid, cogent dreams. Uh, Another way to put it is it's like these children are being born awakened to the spiritual world already. Right, that's, right. Well, you know what you made me think, is. Ed, and, and honestly this, you know, there may, may be flaws in the in this thought. I mean, I haven't, you know, had time to think it out real real carefully, but um, you know how at some point during our history, you know, uh, man evolved from, and I don't know if I'm using the right terms, uh, but like from Cro-Magnon man to the next 
um, you know, the, the next species of, of, of human beings, so to speak. And I, I'm probably putting the wrong label on it, but, but you know what I mean. I almost sure. wonder, I, I almost wonder if, you know, when talking about the indigo children, talking about how, you know, we have, you know, we have these, you know, conservative people who are really sort of stuck, uh, but yet you have other people who really just want to evolve. I wonder if, if, if there's a possibility, you know, in this new paradigm shift that everybody is talking about, you know, we're on the verge of, if, if it isn't going to almost be something like that, where it's the next evolution of human being and, you know, just sort of lets the you know, let, let's the last version of, of humanity sort of just die out. Uh, I mean, does that make any sense? I mean, it makes absolute perfect sense. Uh, I, I, I agree 100%. Uh, if, you know, here, here we get into the question. Well, actually, there's more than one question. There's several questions. So what you just said, we have to start asking the questions, who are we? What are we? Where do we come from and where are we going? Uh, that's that's really what we're talking about here, and it's it's very obvious uh, to anyone who surveys history, uh, you know, history in general, the big history over the past, you know, five thousand, ten thousand. It's very obvious that we are evolving. Now we may not be evolving in a in a physical sense, although the possibility exists that we can. But what's very clear is that our brain and mind is evolving and that we're becoming something different than what we were before. Now that's, that's very obvious. If, if you just look at the, the last 100 years, uh, going back to 1927 at the uh, First International Solvay Conference, so this is the big conference where all the big guys like Schrodinger, Einstein, uh, Niels Bohr, Werner Heisenberg, uh, they got together, Max Born, they got together and uh, Heisenberg and Born came out with an announcement that quantum physics is true and it works out. Uh, it was a very bold statement that they made. Uh, but, but the understanding coming later on from Copenhagen was that, you know, we essentially live in a virtual reality. And things appear around us as real things because we perceive them to. Right. This is what the actual science of physics is telling us. Uh, and, and, and this is huge because this destroys every single religion that has ever existed because religion is based on dogma right. okay, as, a, as opposed to a natural truth. So, so it's just really clear to see that. Well, and and you know, and it it, uh, it 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 makes me feel so good to um, to hear you say that, you know, because the daily sh you know schlag, if you will, you know, trying to raise awareness, uh, trying to get people to evolve, accept new ideas. I mean, it's hard work. <laughs> you know, yes, it is hard. Uh, it's very hard work. It, it but it but it uh, it it feels like it could be you know, very worthwhile because it might not take that many decades from now before, you know, we have new values. Um, you know, we think about things differently. You know, I, I was just mentioning to my Peter, uh, Peter Wilkins uh, was my first guest tonight, and I mentioned to him, we, my husband and I last night went to see the movie Lucy. 
And um, some of the concepts there were, you know, I mean, they they were just, uh, some of them were hard to wrap your mind around. But one of the things that was a takeaway thought was that our purpose in life is to um, gather information and, um, you know, share it with the next generation, you know, to sort of send it forward, you know. So imagine if we if we actually did, you know, a few decades from now, live in a world where greed was taboo, you know, we didn't have predator capitalism, you know, we didn't have all of this globalization, and people, I, I mean, I can remember in Star Trek, I mean, I'm an old Trekkie, I mean, it, I, I think that was all about being the best that we could be, you know, following our passion, um, uh, you know, it, it wasn't about, uh, you know, this, this, the kind of world we live in. You know, you, you were expected to be altruistic and, you know, care about other human beings. I mean, that's what their mission was. Everybody wanted to be in the, on the, in the Star Trek crew, if you recall. Um, right. It, it kind of it feels like we almost have to get back to that idea of, um, uh, of oneness, I guess, um, and, and that would just, uh, the status quo would just sort of, um, we could dissolve it. You know, we could get past this, um, you know, the, the, this predator capitalism, this exploitation, you know, all the suffering in the world, it seems. I mean, do you think that could really be a few decades in our future? Yeah, I do. And, and uh, I think it has to do with uh, the natural cycle of life than anything else. Uh, you know, this is, this is kind of a sad thing to say, but it's true. And if you look back at history, it's been true in history all along. And the point that I'm coming to is us baby boomers who created the society that we have now, uh, we have to die. We have to go away. Yeah. And, and the younger people come and coming up, moving into their 20s and 30s and 40s, they will be able to take the reins of society and be able to change it uh, into what they want to change it to. Right. That's, well, it, that's, that's a sad fact. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that makes sense. You know, I mean, when you say the baby boomers, you know, we have to die out, I think of kind of like the Fox News crowd, um, yeah. you know, because some of us were the hippies in the 60s, you know. I mean, what happened to us? I don't know if, if we just got old and started watching Fox News for some of us, um, or we just saw well, well, what happened? And I was a, I was probably ten years old. Well, I was a little bit. Old. I was like twelve years old at the time. Uh, the Vietnam War ended, and once the Vietnam War ended, there was nothing to to bind that movement together anymore. So it it just fizzled out. However, yeah. just because just because it fizzled out physically speaking. You know, it, the ideas and concepts didn't die away. What happened is, is uh, that first wave of baby boomers, uh, they were faced with the reality of our society. And that reality is that we live in a work-or-die society. Yeah. Period. So yeah. all those baby boomers had to go get jobs. I do believe some of the bigger ones, like Jerry Rubin, like became a, a stockbroker. Mm-hmm. You know, you know something crazy like that. So, so it it's it was it was wasn't really a, a, a sellout per se, but it was just a, 
uh, a thing of necessity that they had to do that in order to survive. I, right. I mean, all of us. I mean, even today, all of us, all of the authors in, in the genre that that I write in, not not all, but like ninety nine percent of us, we have to have uh, day jobs. Sure. You know, yeah. We, yeah. Me too. I know. mean, you know, I I do yeah. this as as my passion, my service to the world, but I got to have a, a regular job to pay the bills. Exactly. And and that is defined. It's, it's actually getting worse. These past thirty years, uh, the value of the dollar has dropped so low, and the cost of things has risen to, to the point where I, I saw some figures. It's, it's like it's like a, it's like a third of the country has to have government assistance in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and, and this has not. Is, this hasn't happened like this since the Great Depression. And, and speaking of the Great Depression, I mean, this is actually a Great Depression we're in now. The difference is the government has those social programs put in place, you know, to prevent people from being homeless and not having to. Yeah, yeah, thank, thank you, Republicans and Ronald Reaganites. Um, well, you know, well, another thing I guess I wanted to talk about, Ed, is... Um, you know this this idea of uh, you know it might be that you know here we were saying that a few decades from now things may be very different, and I wonder you know if it will be because the younger generation um, has you know maybe we'll have more progressive ideas that will lead us in a better more caring uh, direction, or if it might not just be uh, the utter destruction that you know wreaks havoc on the planet and we're forced to reevaluate everything and take a new approach you know i guess i wonder if we're going to be forced into a, a real major change or if you know it's it, we, we you know we human beings start to understand that we have to be more evolved and have a higher consciousness and take care of one another I think that could right. I think that could go either way of those two choices you said. What I hope to see happen is that as the baby boomers die out and the younger people, you know, become of age to you know start running the country and making decisions. What I'm hoping is that things change slowly, and and society moves forward in a way gradually enough that there's no collapse of the financial system. A collapse of the financial system uh, would be disastrous. Uh, it, right. you'd, you'd, have, you'd have chaos in the streets. You'd have people uh, fighting over, over food in the land, and it, it, probably, it probably wouldn't be a, a very pretty picture at all. No, you know, you, uh, I mean, you look at these uh, like The Walking Dead, you know, or Mad Max, um, you know, these post-apocalyptic times, and um, it, it worries me that if, if things did collapse and it got to that point, it would be the people with the biggest clubs and sticks and bullets and bombs. It would, it, we would just turn back to a, a might, a, a, you know, a might is right society rather than the most evolved thinkers or... Um, I mean, does it, does that not sound logical to you? You know, it, it would just deteriorate into chaos. Yes, that that does sound logical. If, if, if a collapse would happen, it, it would it would just be a reboot of the old system again. That's why I hope that you know the way our government is set up, being a republic, uh, being able to elect people and put people you know in office that that actually represent the people. If we can go back to that, 
go back to the original ideas of our founding fathers and have statesmen instead of politicians, you know, mm-hmm. then some real change, some real change could happen. Uh, like, uh, like, you know, here's, this is a crazy example, but I'll vote for him. You know, Jesse Ventura for president 2016, I'll vote for the guy. Right, 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 you right, know? right, yeah. Um, so, so tell me, um, tell me, Ed. Shifting gears just a little bit, but you know, I, I you know, you may be able to shed some light uh, on this. Maybe it's stuff I haven't heard recently. Um, Civilization X, Atlantis. Um, it, is there anything new on that? Um, you know, that's circulating out there. Do we know where it is? Um, how does it? You know, is do you think that was a goddess age? You know, was that the great mother culture? Yes, it was, uh, and actually, it was a yes to all your questions. Uh, the newest evidence, as far as Atlantis goes, uh, well, let me let me back up just a second, and 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 explain to you my understanding of what Atlantis is. <coughs> Excuse me. Atlantis has been found just about everywhere. It's been found in Spain. It's been found found off the coast of England. It's been found in the Mediterranean several times. It's been found in the Caribbean. It's been found in the Yucatan. Uh, it's even been found in the found in, in the Pacific. Uh, you know, everyone claims you know, that they found a piece of Atlantis somewhere because it's so old. Uh, Japan also. There's the Unigani, uh structures that are underneath water. It seems that it seems like Atlantis is pretty much everywhere. And uh, you know, if you step back and think about it, and look at the data, you know, for what it is. Atlantis was everywhere, okay? Uh, so nice, and I like to bring in the Bible just a little bit because there's some really juicy kernels of truth in the Bible. Uh, the first ten chapters of, of the Bible are not really specific to the Hebrew people of that time. Those first ten chapters are a telling of ancient history by our ancient ancestors. And... They always told stories as myths, okay? The story would be very symbolic, very metaphorical, but yet it, it held truth in it and could be passed down from generation to generation very easily because it's a whole lot easier to remember a story than it is to remember a listing of dates and facts and events. Mm-hmm. So, so... Most everyone is familiar with the Tower of Babel story, and it is full of really great information. Uh, the Tower of Babel story is really very simple. Before the people tried to build the Tower of Babel, okay, the Bible says they were of one language and one speech, and that anything they put their mind to, they could do. Okay. And then comes the idea of let's build this tower, okay, to God. And then comes the destruction of the tower and the changing of all the languages so these so the people can't finish what they were doing. Well, how, how would that actually happen in real life? Well, the only way it could happen, if we take it for what it is, the only way we could go to a a world where the people had one language, one speech, and could do anything, to a world where everyone had different languages. The only way we get there is by a great natural catastrophe that decimates the population. 
this makes sense because if it happened today, you know, if the big one hits today and 95% of the world is destroyed and the 5% left over have to survive, they're going to be holed up in, in isolated pockets around the world. You know, people want to group together. And after their destruction, they will, you know, pull together in different places. But it will take many thousands of years for the population to build itself back. And right. while the population is building itself back, the language will change. This is, this is clearly evident just in the English language. Okay? There's, there's actually three different English languages. There's Old English, there's Middle English, and then there's Modern English. Right? If you go back and read Middle English, it's kind of hard to read, but you can get through to it. If you go back to Old English, it gets very difficult to read. Okay, so, mm -hmm. you know, that little tidbit of information in the Bible about the Tower of, of, of Babel actually says, yes, it really was a civilization X. It did exist. Okay, if you look at the Egyptian record, and, and these guys were really great record keepers, they say so also. This is from two different uh, sources, the Palermo Stone as well as uh, the Papyrus of Turin. Okay, each of these say before the first dynasty of Egypt, which is 3000 BC, dynasty one with means, before that, the Shemsu Hor, the followers of Horus, ruled for 13,000 years. And before that, the gods ruled for 23,000 years. And so there we have two different sources saying the same thing. Uh, it's the same thing with the Epic of Gilgamesh. If you, if you read the Epic of Gilgamesh, it alludes to that very, uh, very same idea. The big question is, what happened to it? And that's what Return of the Golden Age really kind of is, is all about, about more than that, but it's about what happened to make our society the way it is today. And the, the answers and the evidence is really, really right in front of us. So do you think it, uh, I mean, it, it, do you think it's religion that poisoned everything? Well, definitely. Uh, it's, 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 it's religion, but it has a little, bit of, a little bit different start than most people think. Uh, most people think it began with the Hebrews, and they started everything. Well, that's not really true. Uh, it's much it's much deeper and deeper in, in a cultural way than that. Uh, this is this is a generally accepted archaeological fact that I'm about to tell you uh, by the academic establishment too. Okay, there was a woman by the name of Maria Gambudis. Oh yeah, we uh, know Maria. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's her work was it was just fantastic. Yeah, she she's a heroine to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she spent most of her life. Uh, in, 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 in Europe, uh, digging up the past and, and proving what happened in, in Europe, that, that prior to 5000 BC, the people of Europe were, uh, matriarchal is the wrong word to use, they were egalitarian, but, mm -hmm. but their, their focus conceptually was on the feminine nature of life. It was to be honored. You, you know, right. men and women worked together you know, as one species, as, as, as a unity. And, and, and she pretty much proved it. Uh, around six or 7,000 B.C., uh, which it makes a lot of sense, it, 
if the great catastrophe happened 12,000 years ago, okay, and this new culture appears like around 7,000 BC, okay, and they appear in the southern Caucasus Mountains, uh, they domesticate cattle and horse, and they have a very harsh life. And it's very clear uh, from the archaeological evidence that they were warriors and that they were very patriarchal. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's even the source of our dogma when it comes to the sky god. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, it, you know, our whole Western society, going back the past, you know, 500 years, probably even more, is that we, you know, as a culture, we look to the, to the great god of the sky, you know, the big man sitting on the, on the throne that has a long beard. You know, right. that was society's general, general idea of who God was. That thing goes back to seven, eight thousand BC, starting yeah. with the Kurgan culture in Russia, and, and and what happened behind the scenes that a whole lot of people can't grab their mind around because we cut up history so much, is that this culture moved out of South Russia uh, around uh, five or six thousand BC. They spread to the west and to the south. Okay. They came on the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian plain and became the, the Sumerians. And then they moved, you know, further to the west and got bumped up against Egypt, you know. And then, that, and then they backfilled Europe. Now, these are, this one culture fragmented into dozens of cultures over a period of a thousand years. However, the important part is these cultures all had the same mentality. They were patriarchal. They were warrior-like. They mm-hmm. domesticated horses, and they raised cattle. Now, this is a very interesting point. That same M.O. was accomplished in the New World, beginning with the Spanish invasion of the 16th century. And the Europeans came over to the New World. They had the same M.O. that they did five, six, seven, eight thousand years ago. They came over with their weapons, their horses, and their cattle. And of course they also brought their religion. Uh, the, the Hebrew religion and the Christian religion really isn't anything new because this whole sky god concept and sacrifice goes way, way back to the Kurgans. Right, so, right, right. So, so I'm curious, Ed... I'm sure you probably, well, you, you might have heard of Shatul Hayuk in Turkey or the, the newer site that they found recently, uh, Golbeki Tepki. Um, oh, yes. yes. Uh, do you think that's part of Atlantis? or I mean, I'm just curious if you have theories about who those people were. Who the Atlanteans were? Well, well, no, no, no. The 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 like Gobeki Tepki, um, you know, it, it was that part of. Do you think that was part of the Great Mother culture? Were they part of Civilization X, or, uh, or are they not old? Are they not old enough? No, no, they are old enough. Uh, the the goddess culture's last stand was Minoan Crete, approximately. Uh, 1800 BC or thereabouts. That was the last, uh, the last evidence we have of, of a true civilization, a true culture uh, that honored that the concept of God as being feminine. Uh, everything before that, uh, and 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 here, this is where I like to blend two two different ideas together. 
when we think of Atlantis, we think of Atlantis separately than we think of the Mother Goddess people. I don't think that's the case. I think 20,000 years ago, society lived uh, basically the same way that we do today. And, and what I mean by that is we have urban centers and we have rural areas. They did too. So, you know, when you see temples, uh, you know, like at Gobekli Tepe, you know, and when you see, you know, the, the monstrous ruins of, of, of ancient Egypt, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very clear that they were all one and the same thing because a lot of people don't, don't know this because it's not taught well. Well, I, frankly, it's not taught at all except by people like me, is that the ancient Egyptians were matrilineal. They weren't patriarchal. You know, the, the, the house of Pharaoh was based on the mother's blood. It wasn't based, it wasn't based on the king. It wasn't based on domination. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I've been finding it somewhere cold. And, and uh, what actually proves this point is the Pharaoh's diadem itself. The Pharaoh's diadem has two symbols on it. Okay? It has a serpent and it has a vulture. Uh, a lot of people think that the ancient Egyptians worshipped animals. They were, they were animistic. This, this is clearly not the case. Uh, if, if you really do your homework in, in, in Egyptology, you will come across a man by the name of René Schwaller de Lutis, who, who spent uh, the better part of 15 years excuse me, at Thebes uh, researching uh, the temple uh, of Amun. And, and he, was, he, was, uh, he was a hermeticist and a mathematician. And he was digging into the culture, the architecture, the murals, the inscriptions, trying to put together what did these people actually think, okay? And how they did think is they used animal symbolism to portray principles and concepts that are naturally existing in nature, okay? Right. They would use, they would use the animal as the principle, and when you saw the animal's head, on the human body, they were talking about that principle as it applies to the human being. Yeah, that makes okay. total sense. You know, like the attributes right. of the animal. Right. So going back to the Pharaoh's diadem, where you had the serpent and the vulture, uh, in a long explanation short, the serpent represented the movement of divine consciousness from a single absolute entity into a duality. Okay, Everything exists between one and two. You know, it's, the serpent was a representation of the creative power of God to create a manifest reality for us to live in, all right? That's mm -hmm. one symbol. The, the other symbol is a vulture, and her goddess name is Mut, M-U-T, okay? Why they chose that as a symbol is the white vulture of Egypt was very protective of her hatchlings. She would fiercely protect them. Okay, so when ancient Egypt uh, viewed the femininity of it all, they chose the vulture because it was the ultimate mother. So right. you, 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 you have the concepts right in front of you about what ancient Egypt was all about. Okay, they believed in a divine consciousness making the cosmos the serpent, and they also believed that the basic nature of our biology was feminine. Well, and don't forget, you know, you have these wall reliefs 
um, of Isis handing the pharaoh in her hand the goddess Ma'at. So at, at least feminists like me interpret that to mean it was Isis who bestowed upon the pharaoh the right to rule. So it was the feminine giving him that right, but he, but she is saying to him, I, you know, I will permit you to rule, but you have to rule using the principles of ma'at, you know, tr- you know, truth and 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 justice and 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 uh, you know, right, you know, um, and, and you know, so I don't know, maybe I don't know whether you've thought about that, you know, but that sort of I think fits into the whole cosmology as well. That's that, that's that's absolutely true, and, and what 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 our, our listeners need to understand is. Is, is that Isis was not an actual woman that actually did this. But when you're looking at that mural and explaining that mural, here we're talking about concepts. Okay, it's the feminine concept that mm-hmm. creates everything. Okay, and the woman comes first because what, what the ancient Egyptians understood about the principles of nature is, is that the female represents reception. It's a receptacle. It's a receptacle of life, is what it is, to birth life, okay? And that the male principle is penetration. Here I'm talking about sexuality, which mm-hmm. uh, the, humans, the humans didn't create sex. Sex goes all the way back to the plants, right. okay? And, and, and it's, so the natural order, the natural divine order was the female comes first because you have to have the concept of reception before you can have the concept penetration right so, yeah. so it's like she's, the, the feminine is primary and you know right. in a sense yeah the feminine is primary right right and that really okay that deep uh subconscious uh collective urge has not disappeared today because even in modern times if mama's not happy nobody's happy well, and also, too, you know, you think about, I mean, I've traveled to a lot of sacred places, especially in Europe, and even in patriarchal Christianity, you know, they can't do away with Mary. I mean, the people just, you know, won't allow it. They won't, won't allow it, will they? No, they won't. They will not <laughs> let go of their mother, you know. And and I think also, too, in a lot of cases that, um, a lot of people don't care what the dogma of the church is. You know, they look at Mary as just as divine right. as Jesus or God as well. Right, right, right. Actually, I well, kind of agree with them just in principle. Right, right. Well, I am curious about something. Going back, and I forgot the term you used, but you you said something about, um, was it the sons of Horus or something? Going, And then before them there were the gods? Um, yes, so there was the followers of Horus and then the gods, yeah. So do you think there was ever a time, you know, I'm thinking about the movie Cloud Atlas. You know, I don't know if you saw that movie, but... You I, know, I did see it. And you, Well, do you recall in the movie how the Asian woman who was sort of drafted into being a social, you know, an activist, then generations later she's being worshipped as a goddess? Do you remember that? I sort of do. It's been like three years since I saw it. Yeah, well, that sort of jumped out at me because of all the goddess stuff. And I guess I wonder, you know, um, a lot of us, uh, you know, when we're, you know, sitting in our wisdom circles and stuff and we're just sort of, 
you know, contemplating new thoughts and, uh, you know, we see where that takes us. And from your perspective, you know, um, do you think, like, say, for instance, I, I, I mean, I realize you just said that, you know, ISIS is sort of the feminine concept, but do you think these um, archetypes or deities that we see today, do you think they ever walked the, walked the earth, that they were ever actually human and, I don't know, because of their good deeds or whatever at some point, you know, we... It, you know, humanity sort of lost the thread of what really happened, and they went right. from being human to divine by accident. Right. No, unfortunately, uh, that's conceptual too. There, there was no physical Isis who was a demigod that became became a person, uh, and 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 that misunderstanding stems from from. Uh, from a lack of evidence, a lack of ancient evidence, and, and, a, and a misreading of mythology. Uh, before the followers, followers of, of Horus that ruled Egypt, the gods ruled Egypt. And, and this is, this is the, the billion-dollar question is, who were the gods? Right. Okay. And uh, this is where everything has really been, has gotten sidetracked horribly by ancient aliens and all these different extraterrestrial ideas. Uh, this is not what our ancient ancestors were saying at all. Uh, if, if you study mythology and, and look deep into what the ancient, our ancient ancestors were, were saying, it's, it's very, very clear what they were saying. And the evidence actually exists as, as the days of our week, Monday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, okay? The gods were the planets. Oh. The sun was the sun and the moon and the five planets. Uh, Sunday is obvious. It was sun, the sun in the sky, day. Monday is moon day. Uh, uh, Saturday is and there's another very obvious one. Saturday is Saturn day. And there's mm-hmm. a huge story behind that guy. You know, and of course, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is uh, Venus, Mars, uh, and Jupiter. Uh, the gods were planets and what happened, and, and this, is, this is some really new stuff that's really, really great, and there's a lot of scientific evidence behind it, is that uh, prior to 12,000 years ago, the five inner planets were orbiting the sun together, uh, meaning that during the day and night, we could see Saturn and Venus and Mars and sometimes Jupiter just like we see the moon. It was a very, very different night sky. Uh, there was a lady uh, who spent most of her life, she was, in, she was an academic e- Egyptologist named of, uh, Jane Sellers, and she spent most of her life studying the ancient Egyptian uh, so-called religion. And most of their religion is based on the night sky and astronomy. Okay? And long story short, the ancient Egyptians, and there's a trace through their record how they changed their beliefs, they were terrified of the night sky. Absolutely terrified. However, after, after like a thousand years, they finally switched and stopped looking at the night sky and started concentrating on the daytime sky. They started you know, looking at the sun as the main deity. Well, this makes total sense 
because the gods were the planets and the gods went away. There's a, there's a very important myth that I need to, to interject here briefly. It's the myth of Hathor and the Eye of Ra. Okay. You probably got Ra, five minutes. We're starting to run short of time, but go ahead. Okay, okay. Uh, Ra was upset at the people and wanted to kill everybody. So he sent Hathor as his eye to do the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got down there and started killing humanity, and, and Ra changed his mind. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's the story of Sephmet, too. Right. Right. Okay. But the people, even though they were saved, would not change their ways. So Ra was sad, and Ra left. And when Ra left, the stars were born, and the people had to worship a new sun in the sky. Okay. What they're talking about here is that the great catastrophe broke apart our planets. Saturn was the true sun in ancient times. Ra mm-hmm. was actually a representation of Saturn. It's the same thing in, in, in the Sumerian. Shamash was Saturn as well as it was the daytime sun, but they had a different adjective to, to, to separate the day sun, which is, the truth, which is our sun, and the nighttime sun, which is Saturn. So, Saturn created the stars and time because Saturn fled and went away. This made us be able to see the stars, which we could not see before, because Saturn has its own luminosity, right? And this is why the ancient Egyptians were so terrified of the night sky, because the world they knew was totally destroyed, and the sky they knew was totally destroyed, and they were trying to find an understanding of the current nighttime sky in the years after the destruction. Wow. Well, Ed, those are some, you know, that's some stuff I hadn't heard before. Um, And, you know, it's always fun to entertain these new ideas. And, you know, I I realize as we're getting short on time here, I didn't mention your website or anything. So, you know, I, I wish we had more time to get into more of this. Maybe, you know, you'll have to come back and we'll, you know, we've talked about so many different things. Maybe we can just narrow it down on, you know, something specific uh, because we've sort of been all over the place covering so much. Why don't you give listeners uh, your website and how they can reach you and maybe um, the titles of, uh, of of your books again? Okay. Uh, I don't have my own personal website anymore. I use Facebook. And that this seems to be some kind of social social change to everything has migrated towards Facebook. So working during the day, I just concentrate on, on Facebook. Uh, my first book, Sons of God, Dollars and Men, is unfortunately out of print. There may be a few used copies available on Amazon, but my publisher is uh, Inner Traditions Baron Company. They have their website, innertraditions.com. And uh, my books are Before the Pharaohs, the Spiritual Technology of Ancient Egypt, Ancient Egypt 39,000 B.C., and my most recent one is Return of the Golden Age. So do you think the Return of the Golden Age might be the most interesting for, um, you know, for people who are more goddess-oriented? Absolutely. Uh, there's no question okay. about it. 
Well, Ed, I have had fun talking to you tonight, and I had a lot of questions I had to hold back because I, I, I was watching the clock and we were running short on time. So um, we'll have to get into this another night. And uh, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's good to know you're out there, uh, you know, educating the public and, uh, you know, preaching the great mother goddess culture. Thank you for having me, Karen. I, I appreciate it. Oh, you're you're welcome. Good night. I I appreciate your time. Good night. Well, listeners, I think we had a great show tonight. Uh, two swell guys. Uh, I think you probably enjoyed them as much as I did. Uh, Peter and Ed. Uh, please go look for their books. And um, as we start to uh, wrap up uh, tonight, uh, you know, I I feel like I want to. Uh, punctuate it uh, because it is so important. Uh, you know, I, I feel like it is our duty to uh, ask time to awaken. So yes, it is time to awaken. And uh, as I close tonight's show, uh, just got to say, a lot of work goes into doing this show every week, year in and year out. And uh, it would be wonderful if you could show your appreciation and support by either sending a donation to help keep Voices of the Sacred Feminine on the air or help me by buying one of my books. And as I wrap up another show, uh, I hope you'll enjoy uh, an audio outtake uh, that I'm going to share when uh, I was interviewed for the important documentary, Fem, Women Healing the World. And if you want to see the documentary, please go to my website, karentate.com. Uh, you can download it from there or stream it from there. Um, uh, or you can uh, go to... Um, uh, Google, uh, you know, just uh, uh, Google Femme the movie. Um, you know, and I have great news about Femme, um, and that is uh, that Femme is beginning to blanket Europe in October. Uh, Femme is going to be coming out all over Germany, Italy, Austria, the Netherlands, Switzerland. Remember, um, they're, you know, over there in Europe, they're more secular. Uh, there's no religious right to contend with, you know, uh, with their boot on people's neck. So perhaps it's going to be European women uh, who will lead the way uh, in saving the world, as the Dalai Lama said. Uh, but believe me, my dear listeners, uh, FEM should be required viewing for women and men the world over. Um, it just goes to prove we are the cognitive minority who are waiting for the rest of the world to wake up uh, to these ideas. And uh, in FEM, we are handing the world this tool to help educate. So please avail yourself of it, watch it, share it, spread the word. Uh, it is very uh, inexpensive. So um, you can't you you know you can't afford not to have it. So uh, let me share this with you. Uh, my outtake from Fem. This is one of uh, some of my words that were left on the cutting room floor, but uh, I believe are still worth hearing. It'll be starting in just um, a minute. Well, I, I think we, we have to really give ourselves permission to rethink everything. Uh, we have to rethink our religion. We have to rethink our politics. You know, very long ago, uh, you know, things shifted away from the idea of, uh, of us valuing nature. And let's face it, you know, goddess is nature. And as a result of us uh, being told that uh, nature is evil, 
you know, women and their bodies and sexuality, that's all become a taboo subject uh, rather than something sacred like it used to be. Um, we have to rethink that. Um, we have to, you know, rethink what we value in the world. Uh, are we going to value a big bank account? Uh, or are we going to value what we contribute to society, how we are in service to each other? And I think, you know, with patriarchy and, um, and capitalism, it's all about competition. And that means there has to be winners and losers. But if we look for ways to collaborate, collaborate, if we look for ways to be in partnership with one another, whether it's your friend or whether it's uh, you know, a corporation or whether it's another country, uh, the world would be a much more uplifted and evolved place, less likely to end in war, less likely to end in... Um, you know, one, uh, you know, country or corporation, you know, being dominated by another and uh, the suffering that results from that. Uh, we, we've seen so much militarism, colonialism, uh, you know, all of these isms, the, you know, the sexism, the homophobia, you know, all of these different things that, um, you know, that, that start with religion and move through politics, move through traditions, move through society and, and shape how we do things. We have to have the courage to shed light on um, how this all began, how uh, what was normal got turned on its head and sort of right things so that, you know, we're, we're in a place of balance. You know, it used to be the ancient Egyptians talked to us about um, you know, they were, they were so afraid of things being out of balance because once things went out of balance, we would have chaos. Well, the world is out of balance. It started with a gender imbalance where it was the masculine over the feminine, and we just had an imbalance, uh, you know, throughout history, whether it be one, you know, one country and power over another or the rich over the poor or whites dominating blacks. There's always this dominator model where, uh, you know, someone's always trying to climb on somebody else's shoulders to get ahead. Well, we need to think more of, about level playing fields. We need to think more about an egalitarian society where there's equality, where there's justice, um, where, where there's truth, where there's freedom. And actually, the, you know, there are goddesses in their mythology that help us lead the way, that provide a template for us to um, embrace these sort of ideals in society. Okay. Well, you were just uh, listening to uh, one of my outtakes from Sam. And I just wanted to tell you, that uh, next week uh, our show will be on a special day on Monday as I interview Andrew Harvey. I'm sure he needs no introduction. Uh, there is yet another male on the planet who gets it and is famous for his sacred activism. We have so many visionaries showing us the way. Women and men, we just have to convince the sheeple there is an alternative. We can have a new normal so things are better for the most of us instead of just the 1%. And you know, in words I believe would be those of Sekhmet, when we uh, hear her voice, I think we would hear her say, I am the roar of truth. I say what others will not. I do what others will not do. I am who others 
I am who others will not be. I am limitless, boundless, infinite, unmeasurable. I am legend because I choose to be. And dare I say, dear listeners, those of us who are her priestesses, share that spark. Find your sacred roar. Go out there and make a difference. Good night. Have a wonderful week. And I will see you on Monday. Desert Heart Fire.